All right, everybody. It is Friday, Friday, Friday. We made it, Molly, to Friday. Friday! Yay! I have, after listening to you and Lon, so much TV to catch up on. So I'm <laughs> thrilled that it's Friday because mm. I got <laughs> nothing but work in TV. I got my booster, so I'm having a couch couch weekend. We're oh. uh, we've got some fun topics and some seventh news though, booster today. At least my seventh, maybe ninth booster. I don't even know. We'll talk about the virtuous cycle of early startup employees turning into angel investors after a major acquisition mm -hmm. or going public. Not like news, but yeah. just part of what is so magic. Why this this tech industry keeps on being so powerful. Yeah. And where it's going. We'll talk a little bit about what that's going to lead to and the democratization of venture capital writ large. So it's, it's a very interesting moment for society here in the US and capitalism. Totally. And then uh, everything about entertainment is changing, by the way. We're going to talk about Mr. Sure Beast's amazing business and how he evidently turned down a billion off dollar offer for his content empire. And that is not crazy at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's going to build a multi-billion dollar business from here. And uh, he is a savant who understands a certain generation. And on that note, we'll have Rachel uh, doing another great OK Boomer segment. You're going to love this Friday show. Stick with us. Bye bye. Sorry, right, you're going to love enjoy. this Friday show. It's a great episode. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Go to athleticgreens.com slash twist to get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Paperclip. In a downturn, every dollar counts. See where your firm's cash is going and stay on top of your runway with Paperclip. Go to getpaperclip.com slash twist to get the app for free for life. And Masterclass. Learn from the world's best minds. Anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Get 15% off an annual membership to Masterclass at masterclass.com slash startups. All right, everybody. Happy Friday. Anything in the news? Nah. Mm. No. Pretty slow. Hold on. Let's have a little sip of this grande latte. There you go. All right, Bruno let's Mars. Go. Two words, people. Bruno Mars. Here we go. What let's is in the news? There must be something in the news. Let's not talk about nuclear <laughs> war. Let's instead, <laughs> or any of the other things. Or uh, any of the other things that would get me in trouble. Although, it's funny because <laughs> this one, I feel like, is skating close to the edge. But there was this really interesting piece in Bloomberg okay. about... Uh, Silicon Valley sort of virtuous cycle of angel of like friends who get yes. rich from tech investing sure. in their friends and this yes. kind of like no everybody no who exactly and everybody who does well yeah. uh, at some tech company then turning around and writing angel checks to their buddies and how this sure. is getting like more and more and more common and most likely the Figma boost the Figma sale like ah. created a whole bunch of new angels yes. and um, it's just a, it's an interesting piece about this kind of circle of investment that I thought might be a fun discussion topic for us because it's sort of well, cool it's very well known that and friends, also very yeah. insular, right? Like it keeps the club tight. Well, here's the thing. You know, if you're raising money for your venture, whatever mm -hmm. the venture is, um, your friends uh, might say, sure, would love to put money in. And because they want to support you and they trust you and they know you. So this is not some big deal. This does not require a story. This is something that's always existed because we literally have named around friends and family. Mm -hmm. So before you can get mm -hmm. Series A, uh, you either bootstrap your company, which means you pull yourself by your own bootstraps. You don't raise money. You use your own skill mm -hmm. as a builder to build a product. Yep. Or you do a friends and family round. So you can do either of those two things. Now, if your friends and your family are in the industry, all the better because they can right. write bigger checks and they understand what you're doing more. So when you do a friends and family, typically, you might be like, hey, I'm starting an internet company. And if your friends and family are not in the internet business, they're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? It's like, put 5k in, could work for you. So just to demystify this, mm -hmm. what happens in Silicon Valley is, well, if you made a million dollars on your Airbnb stock and a friend from Airbnb starts a company and like I you know, and you work together for five years, and they're like, Hey, you should put 10 or 25k into this. Of course you do. Mm -hmm. uh, because you made your million dollars in your RSUs and restricted stock options, whatever you they're actually units. But yeah, think about restricted stock options. 
so yeah, no big deal. This is what's always happened. Um, why this is interesting now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the news mm. peg is here. But I did write a book about angel investing and start a course when this happened the last time, which was during the Uber mania. I think I suspect that it's becoming more of a story as and we've talked about this, like venture the industry is mm -hmm. getting more mainstream, right? Like there's more awareness of it because of the WeWork show and the dropout show and the democratization. Exactly. Yes. And actually, according to Pitchburk, Pitchburk, Pitchburk. Pishblurk. Oh my god, Pitchburk. Oh my god, it's Friday. We're losing it. <laughs> Just according to Pitchbook, 449. Okay, You're such a consummate professional. <laughs> the fact that I have one blooper in six months of you mispronouncing something with my <laughs> dyslexia and inability to pronounce even the smallest names is absolutely fabulous. It took six months, folks, but if you bet, actually, if you took the over oh on god. six months for Molly to make a mistake, you win. <laughs> the show. I can't stop laughing at Ermagerd per. Perchberg now. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to call it that forever. Perchberg is great. Don't you, know? Don't you know? Don't you know? Perchberg. What was that movie, Fargo? I used to do a great Fargo. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyway, you know, what I does Perchberg say? I lived in North Dakota for eight years. Like, if you need Don't a Fargo, you know? I can give you a tight five. No problem. Perchberg says 400, bless you. Sorry. Thank you. 449 micro investment funds or uh, $50 million mm. and less in assets. That's not micro. Micro's under 5 million, but okay. I think so. But yeah. 449 of those were raised in 2021, which was mm -hmm. 100 more than in any yes. previous year. So basically, a lot more people are getting in the venture game. And I think a lot more are getting there via angel investing. Yes, because it's, it's literally all becoming what I wrote in my book. Right. I literally wrote a playbook for this. I said, invest in 20 of your friends, if you're here, or 20 syndicates. Yep. And really, if you want to know the archaeology of this, it goes back to uh, a man named Ron Conway. Now, Ron Conway became what's called a super angel. He raised a micro fund, and that micro fund invested in uh, Google. And then famously, he was affiliated with Paul Graham. This is, you know, in the 2005 era. And then uh, in 2008, 2009, myself and a, an individual named Naval Ravikant started getting into this. Naval was doing venture hacks. I was doing open angel for him. They were both the same thing. Naval would send an email. Here's a list of deals that are open. And here's an article on how to write a term sheet. And then I did open angel forum where Uber and other people came and pitched in person to and I had a hard time finding 10 angel investors back then. Then right. I wrote a book explaining how to be an angel investor called angel and then did angel university and taught that 30 times for charity. We've now raised almost 200,000 for charity. So yeah. anyway, it's become a bit of a known practice. It's been professionalized as a class. So there is now mm -hmm. a professional class of angels. Um, and hey, Bloomberg's on it. Great. Last then, year, Angelist okay. introduced a tool making it mm. easier for investors to bet small amounts. Like, I think you just have this. Yeah, that tool uh, was from. You just have this sort of. Yeah. Good. Rising. Maybe it was the Figma thing that made him write about it now. I don't know. It was interesting. Uh, it's always a good story. I'll tell you what's always a good story as a journalist. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always a good story to talk about insiders. People are right. fascinated with how this thing works from the inside out. And they're always fascinated by networks and getting in early on things. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 you know, and there was, a, there was a big acquisition. So there's more like Great every pin. time there's money sloshing around, there yes. were a bunch of stories like this, actually, when we work was going to go public. And it was like, what's going to happen yeah. when all that money? It's basically like, Ermagerd, Angels. Well, I mean, <laughs> I knew that. And when I did my book, I said, here's a title for you, how I turned 100,000 into 100 million. Mm -hmm. that'll catch people's attention mm -hmm. and of course that's the dream is i made this like microscopic bet and it you know was over a thousand x that does happen it will happen for the figma investors as well depending on you know i don't know if that round was five or 25 million but they'll have a 500 or a thousand or a 2000 x so congratulations this happens all the time uh networks uh are there you could, yeah. you could take credit for like planting the seeds of something that has now blossomed sure. into a bona fide Super trend. I, I would say Ron Conway, Paul Graham, mm -hmm. you know, kind of got the ball rolling on this because Paul Graham did those demo days and Ron Conway, you know, was like very impressively was just very quick to put 25, 100K into anything and would do it. You know, I, I remember so at some point, some MA person made fun of Ron Conway to me and they said, like, yeah, Ron Conway is like huckster. You know, he opened up his spreadsheet in an M&A meeting and pulled up his list of 50 companies and was explaining, you know, which ones we could acquire. Why? And mm -hmm. I, I thought to myself, well, that's dope. 
this guy has information and has placed 50 bets. My mind was kind of blown. It was like a real inception moment for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, what Ron Conway did was he showed the negative way of looking at it was spray and pray. The intelligent way of looking at it was um, diversification in order to hit outliers. So yep. I think people were kind of dumb making fun of Ron Conway because that actually is a pretty great strategy. If you know there's a power law, placing five bets is not what you should do. You should place 50 like Ron Conway did. Mm -hmm. And then you hit Google or whatever, and it makes up for the other ones. Listen, you know I've been on a health kick. And what's a critical part of my health kick? It's Athletic Greens. With one scoop of Athletic Greens AG1 formula, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and more to help you start your day off right. It's so easy. One scoop, mix it with a little water, shake it up, and then have that incredible, sustainable power for the rest of your day. It is so great on so many different levels. You got gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, which I need. And let's be honest, I'm getting up there in uh, years, even aging. And it's going to cost you less than $3 a day, cheaper than a cup of cold brew here uh, in any major city in America. So can you imagine that? Just for $3 a day, you're going to really do something great for your health. And there's no need for a million different pills. I can't swallow all these pills. It's too much. And the supplements, it's too much. I want it to be easy breezy. And that's what one scoop of Athletic Greens AG1 does for me. And to make it even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash twist. Again, athleticgreens.com slash twist. Take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It is interesting, though. Nick was pointing out it's interesting because it's in some ways a unique advantage of the tech ecosystem, right? Which is that every time there's a distribution of equity, yes, it cycles right back into this. It's sort of like why Silicon Valley will always still have power. It's yes. why the tech industry will always have this advantage because it'll cycle right back into this same industry and create this virtuous cycle that just sort of keeps it going. People who make a lot of money in this industry placing a bet, a fortuitous bet, a lucky bet, whatever it happens to be, uh, a brilliant bet, will then make more bets. And they create more millionaires, billionaires, centimillionaires, decamillionaires, who then place more bets. Yep, the exactly. problem is in some societies, like I had um, somebody in Italy explain to me that when people got rich in Italy, like these families, they would never bet again. They would just keep all the money inside the family. They would never spread the wealth. They would never take more risk. They would just keep it inside their family. So there are other networks where people make a bunch of money and they don't put ladders down behind them. What we do in our industry is, we get kind of frisky. Okay, I won a big bet. I won a lottery ticket. There must be more lottery tickets out there. Yeah. So if you believe it's totally random, and you got lucky, and the chances of you getting lucky again are like zero, and this was just a totally one off case, then you would the right thing to do would be to say, I'll never invest in another startup, I'll just consolidate all this wealth and put it into real estate or something safe. Yeah. But if you're here in the valley, and you see this happening, you're like, Oh, this wasn't random. I'm good at this. Right. And there'll be more of these. And Therefore, lightning I should place strikes more a lot of times in the valley. We live out. in a lightning storm. We yeah. live in a lightning storm. Ooh, that's fun. That's a good, that's a good mug. You, you, you like literally my, our job is to have a bunch of bottles and to stand out there in the lightning storm and just catch lightning. Yeah. We're just trying to catch lightning here and, yeah. and we do it as a factory, right? And, and, and that's a great thing for society because we will create more value in society by doing this. It's awesome that there's an angel class and I want to do it now for LPs and funds. So my next decade, the first mm -hmm. act, you know, was doing this with angels. Now that we have so many of them, I want to do it with fundraising. And so what's happened that's really interesting is with these 11,000 members of the syndicate and the two podcasts, I started tweeting, hey, we're raising launch fund three. Oh, I'm sorry, launch fund four. And we did the 506B. We've, you and I have talked about this on the show. We yep. just hit 30 million in commitments. In, after three webinars, so 10 million mm -hmm. a webinar. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I'm talking about here, it's not a flex. Uh, it's more about we're always going to be able to raise a fund. I've got a pretty good track record. Some people might say great. But anyway, I'll just say pretty good track record. We work hard, we got a good process, we got a good thesis for the future, we're going to raise another fund. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we were able to raise, essentially, what took me a year for the first fund, we raised three x that in three webinars. Yep three hours in the second 
fund. Yeah. And so actually, we raised more in three hours in what took 18 months for the first two funds. That was 20 million combined. So we did 30, 50% more in three hours. And we'll blow past what we did in the last fund in the same thing because we have existing LPs who are going to reup and haven't even started talking to them yet. So long story short, I'd like to democratize this. And then the thing I was thinking was, hmm, if this works so well, and we fill up, well, then at some point, we could do a fund of funds. So people I also have unique access to funds. And I'm in 20 funds. So what if mm -hmm. I did what's called the fund of funds, I said to this group of people, hey, we're going to raise 50 million to put in 10 funds, 5 million each on average, but it might be like, you know, some younger funds, we might put in one to 2 million, some other ones we might put in 10. So we could actually do a fund of funds, we could actually then democratize access to venture funds with our unique ability or knowledge. So it's sort of in my head. I love that. I love yeah. that. Also, like, I could totally see if you're a medium net worth individual, mm -hmm. where like, I'd be all about the LP thing as opposed to the angel thing, because it helps me spray. It helps me with that diversification that you're talking spray and about, pray. you can right? say it, like, yeah. if I'm an angel, yeah. it helps me spray and pray, it helps yeah. me get more, like, uh, kites in the air with metal attached to them. Yes, you, you, you got more connectivity, C I really want conductivity, team, conductivity, yeah. conductivity, I want team t shirts that say professional lightning catcher. Exactly. That's a good literally a we good just have like a picture of Molly, like grabbing a lightning bolt out of the sky. I, yes. I think it's, uh, you know, being an LP in a fund is slightly different because you don't meet the companies, you're not right. making individual decisions, but it does True. build your network. And so that's a great part of it. Because when you know, when you know a GP of a fund, you know, their entire network. So mm -hmm. and this is what creates this weird, you know, we have all these people, you know, sparring which with each other on Twitter and you know, VCs and other people, journalists dunking on VCs, VCs dunking on journalists, founders in the middle, mommy and daddy, please stop fighting, all mm -hmm. this stuff going on. And then what's really happening underneath it is we're all LPs in each other's funds. We're all right. trying to place bets together. We're all trying to build companies, grow things and, and support each other. And, you know, listen, we're, we're basically, you know, ride or die with each other. In to case a you're extent, <laughs> just to as, use the term. As some might say. As some might say. In case you're wondering if this is an insular society, everyone, it is. It 100% is. And like, that you can join time. at any time. And if you were, if you are the entrepreneur in Minnesota who wants to yeah. raise that $10,000 uh, friends and family round, then you need to watch the blueprint mm. that Jason did yeah. about expanding your network. <laughs> this week in startups.com slash the blueprint. It's a closed network that anybody can join. Yes. So, you know, this is it's where really true. Like it people just, overthink it. So yeah. many VCs have some origin story about a, a company that involves it was a cold email. Of course. Me, right? Like this of is, I, I actually really wholeheartedly, and I say this as the newbie, agree and believe that it is a closed network that anyone can join because all you need is hustle. Like all you need is outreach and this the right is... amount of outreach legitimately works. You get somebody's attention with a great idea no matter where you are. I, if I had, my red flag is on the other side of the room, I was gonna run over and get it and just say narrative violation. You know, there <laughs> Here, could be two you. things that are true at once. Thank you. I'll flag myself. Well, here's the thing. Now that you're on the inside, you see it a little bit yeah. clearer because you have you have now, uh, dare I say, uh, you're, you're getting towards a 360 worldview. You haven't, I don't think been a founder of a company right. uh, that's venture backed, but you you now have the journalist view and the investor view. Now mm -hmm. I have the journalist view, the investor view and a, a founder view. Um, and so when you start putting these views together, you can see the whole chess field, the whole chessboard, right? And mm -hmm. you, this is what the great awakening for you has been now being on the other side of the table is just wonderful to watch. The world could seem like a bunch of closed networks, of course, right? And Hollywood is one, mm -hmm. you know, finance is one, ventures one, startups, whatever, pick fashion, I'm sure, uh, media. But what you have to ask yourself is how hard is it to infiltrate each one of these now to infiltrate Hollywood is insurmountable. Mm -hmm. Like, that's incredibly hard. Um, fashion? Yeah, that's pretty hard too. Yeah. But I guess you could make some fashion designs and sell them yourself on Etsy and you could start to break in maybe. Exactly. I don't know the it's, exact it's career path there. In so many of those other industries, it's all side routes. Like the way you circumvent Hollywood is you become a YouTube creator, right? Like you sure. become Mr. Beast, uh, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Issa or you Ray? become Issa Rae, exactly. Like yeah. you just... Awkward black girl. You right? hack was your that way her in. Channel? What was her original channel called? Awkward... Was that her? And then, yeah, and then I she got a show. Yeah, Issa Rae. Mm -hmm. Let me just see here. Issa Rae. 
But our industry, I think, is actually, and by our industry, I mean both tech and VC, right? VC is not easy to break into. Hmm. It is becoming more and more democratized legitimately. So it for still people is who pretty closed, but tech in general, yeah, come on, anybody can do this. Anybody can get into this industry. Yeah. So here's the thing. Awkward black girl. Thank you. Awkward black girl. Yeah. Um. So. Gosh, you know, you, you hate to even say this stuff because it triggers so many people. Mm-hmm. The world can be at the same time unfair, mm-hmm. biased, cruel, mm-hmm. and unbelievably beautiful and never being more fair at the same time. So we could hold in our heads these two different ideas. The world yep. is unfair, but it's never been more fair. And that's what I try to explain to people. Yes, is there systematic bias racism classism ageism whatever you want to pick racism outright and then could it also be more open than it's ever been mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. That's so true. what are we here to do complain about this sure you want to this is it is it a newsflash to anybody that it's unfair i don't think so uh, and that there's bias in the world so you can talk about it but everybody knows it already of course it's rigged it's unfair so why not focus on the, the latter part, which is mm-hmm. the latter is, hmm, you can just show up with a ladder and climb right in yeah. and, and do it. So that's what I like to sort of encourage people to think about. Mm-hmm. If More I than one thing in your mind at the same time, I beg you. Let's, it can cause um, dissonance. <laughs> I, well, it does really cause dissonance, that. exactly. Well, and people really want to, we have a negative, negativity bias is a real thing yes. that humans suffer from. And mm-hmm. we want to over, you know, we want everything. We want the perfect to be the enemy of the good all the time. Mm. And in fact, there is a lot of good happening and we can uh, even improve upon the good, right? We can continue sure. Make to it more fair. amplify the good and do the best we can and whatever, because the rest is just people. I was literally having this conversation with a friend today who was like, I looked at too much Twitter today and I need help. And I was like, you know what? This is just humans. There's not a like, there's no story arc in the universe that ends with like, and then everything was fine. It's all the story. The story is just always happening and good things happen and bad things happen. And that's that. I mean, now is now people Eckhart Tolle. Now is now. Yeah. Focus on now. You want to be. This is my Eckhart Tolle. Oh, if <laughs> one. It's like I broke him. Peace. One should not read the comments. <laughs> I just so so. I'm like I'm trying to listen to him, but he just lowers his voice and trails off. I tried to listen to it, and then the space it. between words increases, and I'm like, uh, "What is what the is next happening?" Vana, uh, I. I My tried to listen to Eckhart Tolle and I just then st- I created the ultimate Eckhart Tolle impersonation like years ago and would just <sighs> troll her on it. She'd be like, what should we have for dinner? I'm like, well, I wonder if huh. Italian is too often the default answer. And then you go. Yeah, she, she, she really I tried got, to listen to really the book and in between every chapter there was like a ding that made me lose my mind it made my eyeball explode and i had to stop listening to it and then i put it on speaker and then the dogs thought that the ding was a doorbell <laughs> ringing and so they would oh, go ape doodle barking at it and i was like ape this doodle. is not relaxing founders when you know your numbers at your startup like the back of your hand you're gonna come across two investors as super credible your credibility equals closing your ability to close deals your ability to close investors is going to be based on your credibility well i want to tell you about paperclip this is going to make you more credible today it's a free instant financial dashboard that pulls all of your most important numbers and puts them at your fingertip you just plug in your bank your credit card and your financial accounts and paperclip gives you instant access to the most important metrics like your net cash your burn rate and your runway So stop wasting time crunching these numbers and spreadsheets. No, don't wait for your accounting. That's lame. You want to use Paperclip. But I want you to see why thousands of startups trust Paperclip to help manage their finances. Check out Paperclip and get real-time visibility into your financials today. It takes less than five minutes to set up. And Twist listeners get the app for free for life by going to getpaperclip.com slash twist. That's right. It's typically 30 bucks a month. But if you use my link, 
you get a free for life. There's no downside. Go to getpaperclip.com slash twist today. Let's talk about hacking media for a minute for sure. our um, last big story of the day. Yeah. News broke today via mm. Business Insider mm-hmm. um, and via Mr. Beast himself, by the way, real name yeah. Jimmy Donaldson, saying on a podcast that he has turned down at some yeah. point here in his career a billion dollar offer. Yeah. A billion dollar acquisition deal for his content empire. And he said, uh, if you want to come for the Mr. Beast business, you need to start the bidding at $10 billion. The end. I know Jimmy, I know his business dealings uh, intimately. He, uh, the, yeah, he's making like nine figures in advertising revenue. Yeah. And media companies are typically not worth that much, but his is growing and is worth that and has the brand extensions and uh, Mr. Beast Burger, the delivery service was kind of shaky, but then he opened up an actual store with a really good burger. Mm-hmm. And that had like tens of thousands of people or 10,000 people showed up or something insane like that. So it is a very growing business. Um, and I think influences equal distribution. And he has the most followers, therefore, he is a massive distribution channel in the same way Kim Kardashian is so the same mm-hmm. way Kim Kardashian's skims molly uh became a biz- billion dollar business and so did her fragrance became hundreds of millions or kanye west uh as an influencer himself his uh yeezy brand became worth over a billion this is the new um influencers are distribution period full stop and if you look at what is the hardest thing to do in direct to consumer or any consumer business it's to get distribution so mm-hmm. you can just basically take that out which is why i believed you know if you had a social network that was underperforming if you could in some way draw these people to that social network, you could maybe uh, revitalize social networks that didn't have people like Mr. Beast participating in them, you know, in a primary fashion. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this is why like, uh, I always felt if you didn't have YouTube like features in your social network, Facebook and other social networks should really target trying to get that YouTube business. Uh, because that is a really great business to get people to publish original content to your platform. I mean, maybe... it is pretty startling how only YouTube mm. early, in, initially, right? Yeah. Understood and maybe even lucked into the creator economy. They like, shared revenue. It, it wasn't luck. And they then they started revenue. sharing. Well, yeah, but I mean, like at some point they realized, and it was, I, it, to be fair, it was because creators were saying like, hey, you seem to be making a lot of money off of us and we're just yeah. doing all this user generated content for free. And like, maybe we could work out a little something, something YouTube was like receptive to it, right? Yeah. Yes, let's do that. They built a creator studio. They gen- created a rep They share. embraced it. They embraced board. it. Exactly. Board, and if yeah. you look at how long it took Instagram to even acknowledge its creators, let alone they still haven't really helped them make money them, and they still don't help them make money no they most instagram mm-hmm. creators one have gone to youtube or <laughs> tiktok yes and um make money off of like brand deals there's they, not they a make real it rep platform. share component at they all make they make platform, it off platform yeah. yeah this is where you know a, a, a new entrant uh or one of these existing social networks could really really do some damage if they went to this category of influencer and said, Hey, we'll give you 100% of the revenue for the first couple of years. Hey, not only will we give you 100% of revenue, we'll promote you we will get you more views than those other places. Right. Because that is a secret weapon that some people have is the ability to promote stuff. So if you look at Spotify, they kind of did this playbook with Rogan and call her daddy. They said, we'll take all the risk out. We'll give you all of the what you're going to make in the next five years in advertising. We'll guarantee it, right? They yeah. guaranteed uh, the caller daddy and the Joe Rogan shows that they would be sold out. Yep. So they took and that you know, risk. Not a lot of risk for them to take, is it? Because they know they're going to make back 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, maybe even 150% of it if they do it right. And then they have the promotion spigot that they can point at whoever they want. Mm-hmm. And you know who had the opportunity to do this and just completely, just very recently crapped the bed is Twitch. I don't know if you talked about this, but yes. Twitch is cutting the creator revenues. So they should big time, like for everybody. Right? They and, it's, and people are they should, they should do the opposite exactly so like dumb. they had an opportunity to really swoop in and scoop up all of these like disenfranchised you know because everybody's mad at youtube all the time like there's an opportunity here for yeah. like you're saying the right network to like get it together absolutely if the right anyway. network that was underperforming or under monetized compared to their for contemporaries example, if for example could in some way you know listen I, I know jimmy but i don't know if other networks know jimmy personally but if they did and they 
put a deal in front of him, who knows, maybe they could get somebody like that to actually embrace it. Or maybe even somebody like a musician who is not active on there, but is active on TikTok. Like if you look at Justin Bieber, super active on TikTok, super active on other platforms, not active on certain other platforms. Why is that? <laughs> they maybe not we're, give him the incentive to do it. We're creeping. We're creeping. I'm just we're creeping. I'm just saying but if you look at by the way, one of the reasons that Mr. Beast uh, believes that his network and his business empire overall yeah. could be worth 10 or 20 billion dollars it's because of all of the things we just said and skims i looked up is as of this year now worth 3.2 billion dollars yeah uh evidently and then what he's also evidently working on a game has hired a developer sure. to build out a mobile strategy game for iphone Great. and android so there will be this reach there will be the burger business there's the feastables thing there's yeah a gaming all of these empire things all, yeah. all of these things have the potential to work and He's got a right, quality exactly. product and we'll each other has a different here's the here's the rub each of these things ha these are not software in some cases yeah so you know how you value a media company is typically two to five times revenue now jimmy might get a premium because he's number one right or is he number one or number two on youtube now i'm not sure I, I know he had that like back and forth with the other video game guy so anyway if you're number one or two you will get a premium right the premium brands like hbl will, will get a higher evaluation because they're premium so okay maybe you make the media business is worth seven times revenue top line and maybe 20 times bottom line so could very conceivably be a billion dollar media company right now so mm -hmm. if it had 50 million in profits on 100 million 20 times that is a billion if you gave them seven times and it had 125 or something just picking a number out of the air worth a billion Okay, what is a burger chain worth? Well, you just have to look up Shake Shack, right? And you can Shake Shack has a certain number of, um, you know, um, you, you know, uh, locations to to hit that number, certain amount of revenue. So you just pull these things together. Shake Shack currently worth one point eight billion. So if he becomes Shake Shack, there's a long yep. way to go, but it's possible, right? Okay, now you add two billion for that, a billion for the media business. You're at three billion. Okay, if the video game, there are analogies for video games. You just look at roblox you could look at zynga okay that's worth another billion mm -hmm. so you know you exactly. put a collection of assets like he's together not just in, he's not inventing this you know it's not he's a very shrewd he has a plan he is a very shrewd capitalist with a very ruthless plan yeah. and we'll be sitting here in like you know a year or two going mm -hmm. is this the yahoo when yahoo turned down microsoft or is this like he's a genius and and it's good that uh, he did himself, he's a know? genius we'll i think he's i think he's a media genius yeah. i think he really is a savant when it comes to making content people want he studies it he's hard working uh he does burn money like a drunken sailor i will say that like he does so, do that yeah is that like which it, he brags about right which like, he brags this about video like, cost a million dollars to make and but yeah. it's like this will be a nice like you know, it, this would be what Vice was supposed to be. Remember the brand Vice was going to yeah. have all these brand extensions, TV shows or whatever. It was going to be a network eventually. Totally. Never got there. This is like, I think for that generation will be their Vice or HBO could or, or Marvel or Disney. It could be like their Disney. Like you could go to Mr. Beast World would be packed. Like if he literally did a theme park, Mr. Beast yeah. World, it would be packed. It could be, it's like Lego, right? It could be like Legoland. So congratulations to him and a great job. And, and that's speaking another of the Gen great Z's and week the millennials. In the yeah, let's bring on uh, Rachel for OK Boomer. All right, Rachel is here. Rachel reporting. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing good. How are you? Right, yay. How's your life in New York? It is good. Molly made a good point. Um, we were on a call earlier. It's definitely getting louder. Uh, a lot more people are in cars, so it's getting colder in New York. Oh, okay. The, yeah, the, like, the sound in Rachel's apartment is an excellent indicator of both economic activity and weather. Yeah, like lots of people out on the streets. It's true. And now it's cold. So they're in their cars. <laughs> Do you have like headphones you wear or a sound machine? I used to wear headphones sometimes to bed. Like Sometimes I have an eye mask and I have uh, my Amazon like plays rain music is what Great. is what I'm Perfect. using now. Excellent. Oh, like you, you have your uh, Amazon Echo play rain music. Yeah, even though it's not rain. I know. I was, I was ready. To say New York gets freezing cold, man. There are some that I remember those February's. Yeah. I would be wearing two pairs of socks, Molly, with the boots, and I would be on the subway platform, and you know, you're standing there. on concrete, and those socks would last about, I don't know, 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden, your feet are frozen solid. You get into the subway car, and it's 107 degrees. It's Bikram yoga. And so everybody gets in the subway car, starts taking off their jackets, you're sweating, but you get out, it's freezing again. It's Rachel, is this going to be your first winter in New York? 
No, last winter was my first one, but because okay. of the All In Summit, I actually, I moved to New York in January, and I was uh-huh. between here in New York, uh, between here and Miami a lot. So this oh, is right. going to be my so first. you spent half yeah. the winter in Miami. Yeah. You were in, like a snowbird. Okay. All right. I, I, I loved what? it. It's quite charming that. in New York. Quite yeah, charming like in New York it. when it's winter and you get a nice coat and you it's my first go Christmas. to Balthazar, also, you get right a French now, onion soup. Yeah. Can we go like... I think um, I'd like to propose while I have you on camera and you might have to be on the record here. Can we go like the week before Thanksgiving and do a meetup in New York? Because fall in New York is the best. Oh, it's so wonderful. Let's do it. We'll go to a Knicks game. Let's do it. Done. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I knew this right, was going to work. Who do you got All this right. week? Who do you got? <laughs> so this week I have Taylor Bell on. She's a business focused content creator. And I've been having a lot of creators on recently, but I realized that all of them were doing it full time. That probably wasn't super applicable Um, to people listening to my segment of the show if they were young people looking to kind of break into the space or people that were young founders uh, looking to like advertise a little bit more and use marketing tactics for their startups. Um, They're probably not like creating content full time. They're probably focusing on their business. So Taylor was a great person to have on. She talks about being a management consultant while being a very successful YouTube creator. I love this is no shade on makeup or funny uh making fun of people who buy candles like this tiktok series that went viral but like the idea of a business focus for this content i think is great that's great i love her content i wish there was more i she's somebody who i feel is a great role model for young girls that are really interested in like lifestyles content um i don't think she's like promoting like overconsumption in any way if she doesn't talk about management consulting she's talking about traveling overall great creator puts a lot of time and effort in her videos and i think you're right it's a little bit has a little bit more substance uh and like takeaways at least that i prefer in my content just amazing how being a content creator opens so many doors for people now like Mm -hmm. when i see somebody they've done you know 10 of these shorts tiktoks whatever reels and, and you're like wow the person has charisma they can communicate it is the new communication platform i was literally on a board call with developers and they're like when we send people to a text document, they say, where's the videos? And so we're going to hire a TikToker to explain how to use our dev kit. And I'm like, really? Developers <laughs> want to learn through 90 second videos? Okay, fine. I want to watch cooking videos that are 90 seconds that teach me how to make a salad perfectly. So I think this new format is here to stay and 90 second to you know three minute content. You know, TL- TLDR of YouTube videos is, is here. Yeah. And Rachel's got her finger on the pulse, as always. <laughs> All right. Enjoy, everybody. Enjoy. All right. Listen, Masterclass is the best way to learn from the world-class instructors at the top of their game. I love the product. It's some of the best stuff you can get on the internet, including amazing sessions like the greatest shooter of all time, my guy Steph Curry, teaching you how to shoot, ball handling, scoring, plus legendary Disney CEO Bob Iger, teaching business leadership and strategy. And I recently, I love this one, I watched Chris Voss, a former FBI lead hostage negotiator, teach the art of negotiation. What a great course that was. And not only do they have these world-class teachers, they also have world-class production values. That's one of the great things. Watching this is a delight. It's it's like the HBO of education. It's like the world-class, most beautiful videos you've ever seen it's amazing they have 11 categories with over 150 instructors now and the lessons they're about 10 to 15 minutes long so they're gonna fit into your busy schedule you should get masterclass you get that great subscription you use it for your family everybody uh you know get smarter together get unlimited access to every masterclass and as a twist listener you'll get 15 percent off your annual membership just go to masterclass.com startups once again masterclass.com you know how to spell that that's easy slash startups for 15% off the masterclass annual membership. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. Thank you so much, Taylor, for coming on this segment of Okay, Boomer. Um, I got to meet Taylor when I was moderating my first event, which was super duper cool. Um, I think I talked about it a few weeks ago. Her, along with former guest Danny Miranda, and actually another former guest, Nate O'Brien, were there. So... Taylor's a friend of a friend, and I'm super happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. I didn't realize that was your first time moderating. You killed yeah, it. My thank God. you. I really want to keep doing them in IRL, like these IRL moderating events. Um, it's funny, Jason, who is my boss and the host of the show, um, 
him along with Molly Wood. They both have like moderated IRL like events in the past. And before COVID, that was something they did like a little bit more frequently. So now I'm, I want to get like on the moderating train, I think. I think it's really fun. I love that. Yeah, so, following their footsteps. I like it. Right. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm already learning from them so much in, in podcasting. I might as well learn how to interview people um, in real life because I feel like it's a little bit more stressful. And I don't know, hopefully it'll make me a better like eat podcaster at the end of the day if I learn how to do like moderating with like a live audience. But we'll I'm see. Sure. Yeah, you can't edit that. So. <laughs> right. Right. And in, in speaking yeah. of editing, I wanted to have you on today because you are a amazing YouTuber and management consultant. And you recently, I see it right behind you got that YouTube plaque. So tell the audience, what does the plaque mean? The plaques for 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, that came yeah. in the mail. I came in the mail like three weeks after I, or even more, like weeks and weeks after I hit it. And yeah. now I'm approaching 170. So the growth oh has my been, gosh. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's insane. That um, is a very, J very curve. Yeah, dude, congratulations. <laughs> So you, you are very, very awesome. The I definitely have like a timeline of things I want to go and talk to you about. But the big gist of this is we've spoken to quite a few different content creators on the podcast. Like I said, we've spoken to Nate O'Brien, who um, does investing alongside being a creator. Danny Miranda, mm -hmm. who does full-time podcasting. Jules Turpak is an amazing commentator and does a bunch of other side projects. Um, way back when we talked to the Morning Brews, Dan Toomey, who's the guy that makes the TikToks for Morning Brew. He's hilarious. And uh, nice. we also spoke to Ben Awad, who is a content creator for like computer science-y kind of things over on YouTube and TikTok. Um, and I believe he also is a startup. But the only person basically I have not been able to cover is somebody that is a content creator and has a full-time job. And I think it's very interesting where we see these influx of young children, especially around our age. Um, people maybe that are even coming into adulthood really wanting to be full-time creators. And I don't meet a lot of people that are balancing like the nine to five along with it. So you're a great example. And I want to hear your thoughts, how you do it, um, and any advice you have. But first things first, how did you get into management consulting and how did you get into YouTube? Yeah. So I guess starting with management consulting, I well, first of all, to cover kind of the umbrella question there, it is hard to balance the two, but I'll get into the details. <laughs> um, as for management consulting, um, just the school that I went to, it was Wharton Business School. And so pretty much, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but a very high percentage of everyone that comes out of Wharton goes, you know, rather the finance route, the tech route, or the consulting route. Yeah. So I mean, admittedly, definitely hopped on the bandwagon, uh, even tried my hand at finance, as you and I have talked about, yeah. um, for like a couple internships, a couple, you know, summers, my sophomore and junior summer realized that wasn't quite for me, or at least, you know, I was interested in the finance space, but I'm not sure that's what I wanted to go full, full time in. And I figured consulting from what I knew about it did seem to kind of play to my strengths a little bit more, you know, a little more client facing, a little more creative. I don't know, maybe in hindsight, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say creativity is like one of the, the number one things per se, but um, it did interest me. And I figured, you know, I'd go for it. I, I interviewed and, and I got a job there. And so yeah, I was at my first consulting job for a little over a year. I actually left a few months ago. So I've been doing YouTube full time uh, for a couple months, but I do have another uh, corporate job and consulting lined up. So uh, I started in about a month and it, it, it's a tough balance. So anyway, that's how I got into consulting. And then YouTube was actually a little more of a less streamlined story. Um, <laughs> it was during quarantine. So for my first consulting job, I chose the latest possible start date. So that way I could travel after graduating from college. You know, I had when else would I have that time? And then COVID hit. So I could yeah. no longer travel. I was at home, uh, just at my parents' house in LA and just wanted something productive to do. You know, ideally a way to make a little money and just, you know, keep myself busy basically for that full year that I basically had off. And so I started flipping clothes. And I know it's it's funny. I think you're the one who mentioned to me that People who flip clothes, there's like a high correlation with them I, starting a business. Or, that is my theory. That is my theory. And I'm putting a stamp on it. I also do reselling. I love it. I'm a Poshmark, like Poshmark eBay girly till I die. I swear. Amazing. That is that there has to be a correlation. I bet there is because it is a very entrepreneurial thing. Like you get addicted to it. Oh, and so, I am. I yeah. am. It's so bad. Dude, totally. Yeah. Same here. And, and Poshmark is such a great app. It's, it's so user friendly. I know they take a higher percentage, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But anyway, <laughs> that's the side hustle that I started when I had my time off. And, you know, after some time, I realized that the way I was becoming a better reseller is through YouTube videos of people, yeah. you know, making and talking about brands that sell and, and all that good stuff. So that's how I entered YouTube is through reselling videos. 
And then uh, eventually just, you know, it was a long journey. But basically, once I got a bigger audience, I just started to uh, expand my type of content, talking about management consulting, kind of the Ivy League experience did pretty well for me, um, you know, talking about that in the beginning. And then now talking about New York City lifestyle and some personal finance things and good little mix of everything. So, yeah, that's awesome. And why do you think it's important to have content creators out there as examples that do also have a nine to five job and aren't just full time creators? Uh, it's a good question. It's it's a tough balance for sure, especially with consulting, which is more like a you know twelve hour minimum <laughs> workday. I guess it depends. It can be less. But my philosophy with so many things I'm, I'm now noticing these days is that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I guess in some cases, it definitely helps. Like if I just did one or the other, I'd be able to put myself fully into it versus splitting my time a little bit between the two. But you know, as someone who's risk averse, and I talk about this in my videos, but I just enjoy the idea of being able to reap the benefits from both. So I get my kind of creativity from YouTube and learning the ins and outs of like running my own business in so many ways. But then with consulting, you do have that built in stability, um, kind of that built in social context, and definitely some you know, credibility within the business world as well. And it's, it's like a good, I don't want to call it a fallback because it's it's a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of getting best of both worlds is, is just something that I personally value. And I'm sure, you know, setting that example to show that you can do both w- would speak to a lot of people who kind of probably think the same way that I do. So yeah, I feel like I hear a lot of people who try to do this talk about on like the risks of burnout. Are you doing anything mm-hmm. to kind of mitigate that and make sure that like you don't fall into that bucket? It happened for sure. And it still does, even though I'm in the period of doing YouTube full time. But, um, you know, for me, it really just came down to posting less frequently because, you know, it's interesting because with consulting, let's say you have four hours at the end of the day free. It's not in theory. Yeah, there's enough time in the day to do both. I could then start filming a video or start writing a video. But ultimately, if I have literally just four hours to myself, I'm not going to switch over like that to to kind of the content creation mindset. So I did get burnt out sometimes, um, but really what that just manifested in was me deciding to take that four hours for myself and and not and not forcing myself to make a video. So really just, yeah, it came down to me posting once every three weeks or, or not super frequently. Plus, I also, one thing I've also noticed I do is I won't um, compromise on quality. I know yeah. some content creators really, really say, you know, quantity, quantity, especially in the beginning, just throw everything out there. I can make an argument for both. I've always focused on quality, I would say, especially mm-hmm. in the last like six months. So if that means I post less frequently, but it's a banger every time or like I hope it is, you know, yeah. um, and it feels like I'm really dropping an episode, like something something really yeah. good. That's kind of what I value a little bit more. So that I'm glad that goes hand in hand with doing the consulting at the same time. Yeah, no, that definitely doesn't. It's funny because that contradicts what um, a fellow podcaster and one of our friends, Danny Miranda, has previously said on the show. And he very, very well-knownly posts a bunch of TikToks, like something crazy, like 10 a day, like don't quote me on it, but something insane. So for him, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying those aren't, those aren't quality because he's in a different bucket where that is his full-time role and that's his full-time thing that he's doing. But that mm-hmm. is such a different mindset where he is more like looking at content in terms of the algorithm and getting his name out there. And you're more looking at it as putting quality content out there. Um, have you ever tried to venture into other mediums like TikTok that maybe favor the that quantity more than quality? Uh, you know, I actually I haven't really. I've posted a few shorts, like short form content. And it's funny you ask because I have I don't know if you noticed, I had one on Instagram pop off. Um, it was just really? like a silly little video. Yeah. What? <laughs> a silly video of me sitting right here and then yeah. the window I'm on, you know, very high up in a high rise. Uh, not even a window washer. I'm not sure. A mechanic of some sort. But a guy literally right outside my window. And then I just filmed, you know, me kind of giggling to him and he did a peace sign. And <laughs> it, ha- it has 15.5 million views on my Instagram reel, which is it's insane. And then on TikTok, it's at like three or f- th- I haven't checked in a while, but three, three million, something like that. It's, it's crazy. It just popped it really up. Is. Such a, but to answer your question, no, I've never done it like consistently. It's just yeah. so the, the three, I think, YouTube shorts I've made, I put on my Instagram reels and I do have a, like I made a TikTok just to put them there. But no, I haven't really ventured into it. I know it's a good strategy for growth. We've also talked about this, but I don't know. I can't. I can. I just haven't, I guess, really gone into that world too much yet. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense for the kind of content that you, I actually am a, a giant. I don't know if you are, but I was a giant YouTube junkie. I didn't, to be honest, watch that much lifestyle, um, but I did love commentary. So 
I knew, for example, um, Jules Turpec, who I've mentioned multiple times now in this conversation. I knew of her content before even meeting Jules and becoming her friend because I love that style of content where it's just commentary on recent events and things like that. I don't think that necessarily mm-hmm. translates along with videos on reselling and like tips and tricks and things like that. I don't feel like I get that mm-hmm. full experience going over to short form content. Um, if you could give somebody advice on trying to create a YouTube channel, not trying to venture out in a different avenues like TikTok, what advice would you have for them? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I always say, it's simple, it seems obvious, but I feel like a lot of people don't even actually do this. It's to create content about something you actually are very passionate about because, I mean, I know it seems obvious, but like, I mean, day one, you're just going to quit if it's not something that you actually enjoy talking about. Yeah. So starting there. Um, second would be, I actually, I have thought about this recently. That's where I would start. Um, <laughs> second, it depends on the niche you're in. Um, if you have really searchable content, maybe this doesn't apply as much, but I posted my first video on my Facebook page, which, you know, huh. all across my my personal Instagram and all that, because I knew, or at least I thought that it really wouldn't get any views and, unless my peripheral people who actually knew me and who would yeah. actually watch me would would watch it. So I just got like, I put it on my Facebook and, you know, people from elementary school and middle school who I haven't seen in so long probably were just like, oh, interesting and yeah. clicked. And I got like, you know, 900 views in the first day on that video, which is you know, huge numbers for just starting a channel. I mean, yeah. I, I was happy with it anyway. Um, so I, really just not being afraid to to put yourself out there because I know that most people's number one fear with starting a channel is like, well, it's embarrassing. What if this so-and-so <laughs> finds it? It's like your goal is to, is you know, presumably to to grow. And, you know, it could be other other things also if you're just doing it for for fun. But if your goal is to grow, like ultimately you want as many eyeballs as you can get. So yeah. anyway. Just, yeah, starting with something you're passionate about. And then I would say posting across your social media platforms worked really well for me. So it's like similarly to starting a startup, I guess, and creating a, a YouTube channel or putting any content out there. It is like really daunting to think about like just from a personal stance, like, oh, like, what are people going to think? Because mm-hmm. um, you really are putting yourself out there. And not that totally. many. I always think about um, when I'm like scrolling through TikTok or from on YouTube. Um, and I sit and I like try to like I'm judging somebody's content where I'm like, oh, they could have done this better. And I'm like, you know what? Like mm-hmm. how many creators are there versus how many consumers are there? Like it takes so much to be a creator, it takes so much to be a founder. It takes so much to like start your own venture in any sense. Um, so I, I yep. like that frame of reference. But what advice would you give to people that are really nervous about having their friends and family see their content? And why weren't you nervous? Good question. Like you putting it on Facebook. That's I... a, That's a jump. It, it takes that is a jump. You're right. And and you're right. Like to your point, it, it takes balls. It really does. And people don't realize it until they do it. Um, it's easy to, you know, make fun of someone else that, that you kind of sort of know, like, what are they doing? But then, uh, yeah, the reason I guess I wasn't nervous was because I was confident in what I was talking about. So it wasn't I didn't start with like a day in my life, you know, w- which is fine. But like, it's going to be a little harder to get traction if no one knows who you are. If you're just starting with like lifestyle day in the life content. I was talking about something very specific, how I got started reselling on Poshmark and how much I made in quarantine. You know, I had these like hard numbers to fall back on. It wasn't a huge amount, but it was cool. It was like, you know, here's how I made whatever it was, 2,700 bucks, you know, just flipping clothes for fun in my bedroom, you know? Yeah. I think it's because of that, because of the topic. And I actually filmed it like three times because the first two times that I I edited it, I was like, "Eh, this isn't perfect. So I just, be, I think it came down to feeling very confident, I would say, about the final product. Um, and, you know, looking back now, it, it's, it seems silly <laughs> because I'm so much, you know, I've come so long, so far in my editing. And I, I would say, and, you know, it was iMovie at the time, whatever. Yeah. But I just, at the moment, felt confident in what it was and that it wasn't just, you know, I, I don't want to say fluffy lifestyle because I do plenty of the fluffy lifestyle now, but I wouldn't have started with that. I, I, do you know what I mean? I think it's because of the topic. I felt confident yeah. in it. Um, that I just, you know, I didn't really care if other people saw it. Oh, I wanted I them to. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. You mean the more, lifestyle? Like you mentioned before, content? like getting more eyeballs. I like exactly. your lifestyle content because I think you're, I think there's sometimes, at least when I first saw lifestyle content, maybe this was just because I wasn't that into it. I was like, why would I want to see like somebody else just going about their day? But the lifestyle content you make, and this is probably true for other people, and I just aren't, I'm not watching them. I like that you have like tangible, it's almost like tangible outcomes. They're like, this is how much I spend on coffee in New York City. Like, yes, New York City is expensive. This is how like I can afford to live here. 
I really like that because it gives somebody like a tangible takeaway. So even though it's lifestyle content, it's providing value. And that is a really interesting line like to follow. Thank you. I do try to do that. That's very, very, um, yeah, that's on purpose. I try to like, even in my even fluffier ones where, sorry, I'm using that word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like where I'm just walking around New York City and exploring, I still do try to teach something or, or, or add in those little, you know, valuable tidbits in some way, shape or form in each video. Mm-hmm. Not just because I think it'll perform better, but that's honestly just feels more like purposeful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just enjoy, it feels more like an assignment, like, ooh, I'm cracking the code on something. Yeah. You know, so I just, I enjoy it more that way as well. I totally um, get it. So, yeah. The one mm-hmm. lifestyle YouTuber that I was like obsessed with and I still love is Emma Chamberlain. I know it's like very, everybody is, knows Emma Chamberlain at this point. She's crossed that, uh, that barrier from like, I feel like influencer to a celebrity. She's um, now much more than what she was back back in her her heyday, I guess. Um, and one mm-hmm. thing though that drastically changed as like a viewer was her editing style. So you really saw her after she took breaks from YouTube how different her editing style got. And there was even a point when she was way earlier on in her career where you could almost tell she got an editor. I don't think she has an editor now. Possibly a little later on because it does feel a little bit more authentic. But there was a point in her content, a brief stint, where I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel as as real like, as I'm I'm really watching Emma. It feels like I'm watching somebody else's version of Emma. And it's so interesting as a viewer to to kind of like see that progression. You, Ennis, is very, very evident, have been super consistent with editing. You are obviously the one that edits your own content. Um, and the one reason viewers can know that is because you just have a lot of jokes in there. A lot of it's about timing. Um, your videos are really quick paced and like, where you're speaking changes like there's a lot of shots being done you're obviously the person editing why have you chosen to keep on editing which is like the hardest part like the most time intensive at least part of creating content why haven't you passed that along to an editor at this point thank you for the kind words by the way it does take a long time and (laughs) and and yeah i do but for the very reason that you just said with emma um i noticed the same exact thing it didn't feel as much like her when it was someone else editing it compared to now when she edits her own videos again for that same reason, you know, it's for a couple reasons, but this is the main one. It's that I feel un- I don't feel confident that someone else could could. I mean, of course, they have there are people out there who can edit the same way that I do. But to teach them to have my same vision, to have my same humor, to add in those little jokes, all those little things, because the creativity really, really comes in the editing. Um, yes, of course, I can script little things or I can plan to go to a certain location that I think will be interesting. But Ultimately, it's in the editing where the storytelling really comes in, I have found. And part of it is that I just I I love doing it. I love taking the ownership over that piece, but also because of how incredibly difficult it would be to train someone else. It takes time. It's probably something I'm going to have to do um, when I'm in the thick of the consulting job again, um, you know, to to balance it. And but we'll see. I mean, if I'm not happy with that product, then I, I, I don't you know, I'm not afraid to cut ties there. So just to maintain my own authenticity and honestly because of the like barrier to entry with teaching someone else is just so high i feel like Uh, it sounds like you've gone through the same thing yourself right you said it was really difficult yeah i had when i was doing my own podcast outside of the speaking startups um it was definitely something that i was looking to try to find an editor for at one point right now i've i've taken a break on my own podcast i think i'd be podcasted out if i was doing both at the same time maybe sometimes in the near future i'd like to like start that back up but right now that would be, I think that'd be podcast overkill. And um, mm-hmm. during a short stint when I was trying to do both, I was trying to find somebody to edit. And it's like, I, they don't under, it's hard to have somebody think like you think. Cause there's certain things that I listen to and I'm like, well, that doesn't necessarily pertain to the conversation or um, that isn't something that my audience would necessarily like, you know, benefit for like my episodes were always like a certain length too. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't beneficial to the audience. Like this should be cut out. And I think teaching like what is funny content to keep in because it's engaging versus what is something that's just like me blabbering on that doesn't like give anybody value is something that I don't, I don't even know if that can like be taught because it's really teaching somebody to think like you. Um, so I have a lot yeah. of, a lot of uh, respect for any creative. Um, again, we're talking about another friend, Nate O'Brien has, uh, he has, I believe, um, found different people to like edit his content at points in time. Phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal. It, everything's really, really high quality. Then again, he's not necessarily doing like funny, like lifestyle content. Um, but he is uh, able to really find that like consistent um, person with the same really high 
expectations. And I know that must have been really, really difficult. And I don't, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that. Yeah, I know. I, I know exactly what you're saying. His videos that are a little more like cinematic where there are drone shots and all that, they come out so, yeah, so beautifully. And even I know other like New York City vloggers who do kind of put in those little funny quips that have found editors and, and, and even the creators say that it's now at the point where it gets edited to the exactly how they would have done it themselves. So I guess it's possible. I don't know. It, it seems impossible <laughs> to me as well, but uh, some people seem to do it. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll figure it out one day, perhaps, yeah. but it's, it's not totally on the radar right yeah, now. Yeah. Well, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing, uh, if. One day if uh, consulting catches up to you and you're faced with having to having to hire an editor, how that process goes. Um, if people wanted to watch your YouTube channel, uh, where can they find you? Taylor Bell. Just type in my name should come up. And, Amazing. Yeah. and then on Instagram, I'm you can type in Taylor Bell as well. But it's Tay K Bell. I wish it was just Taylor Bell, but I'm sure, you know, that was taken. So yeah. T-A-Y, the letter K. I, I am freaking Rachel underscore like no I'm at underscore Rachel Braun on everything and sometimes I can get Rachel Braun but at this point I'm already underscore Rachel Braun on so many other platforms that I gotta keep it big bummer so if anybody is uh willing to give up at Rachel Braun or at Rachel that would be crazy uh just let me know that'd be crazy that'd be insane anybody yeah. on Twitter awesome thank you so much Taylor for joining thanks for having me this was fun all right everybody thanks for listening amazing we show on sunday a great show for you on sunday we got more bc sunday school we have a fascinating climate interview it's uh it's all good stuff we're talking climate friendly debit cards just get straight up get paid for making climate friendly choices that's what i'm talking about right now all right you got five great shows this week from this week in startups monday through friday you got your all in saturdays and of course on sunday you got your grade this week in startups uh vc sunday school and this week in climate it's been a great week thanks for sticking with us if you love the show, you love the effort we put into it, yeah, rate, subscribe, whatever. Uh, you know what to do and follow Molly Wood on the Twitter and follow me. I'm Jason on the Twitter. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.